Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. On the mic, voted podcast of the year by a panel of experts, a panel of non-experts, a couple of his closest mates, his mum. Yes. Thanks, mum. And my mum is the only person that sponsors this show on Patreon.com. As embarrassing as it is, I'm going to say it. Thanks, mum. She sponsors for $5 every month. And so she gets a mention in this podcast. If you would like to sponsor this podcast so we can continue to make it, please go to Patreon.com forward slash on the mic. Thanks, mum. Welcome to today's episode with Greg Rust. He is a motorsports legend in this country, probably Australia's greatest ever motorsports commentator. This guy is right down there in the thick of it, in the pits, at the coalface, when all the action is unfolding. He's got so many great stories. He's hosted shows with Formula One race car driver Alan Jones, the late, great Barry Sheen. We're going to talk about the Rush-style feature film being made about Barry Sheen by a mate of mine. Rod Morris on the Gold Coast. Uh, also chat about uh, working in the pits, the technology of the cars, where it's all going. We're going to have electric car races soon. Celebrity interviews. He's spoken to Arnie and heaps of other people like that. Very shortly, Greg Rust. i got a lot of energy today. I feel good. Hey, uh, probably excited because the Sanctuary Cove International Film Festival is coming up. I started a film festival three years ago on the Gold Coast. Probably four years ago, actually. When... I had a feature film called Shooting Goldman, which you can watch for free on Vimeo if you want to check it out. Very weird, freaky kind of movie I made. But the film festival just spun off the back of that because we had this theatre at Matt Hollywood, my, my best buddy, the Magician's Theatre at Sanctuary Cove, and he said, let's do a film festival here. I've got a lot of friends that work in the industry. you got a lot of friends? Let's just do a film festival. Get them all here and have a party. Just so happens it's on my birthday weekend as well. So if you want to come... Because you're a loyal listener to On The Mic, or maybe you've listened to it for the first time, I don't care, I'm going to give you a $75 ticket for free. No strings attached. Just email me with the subject matter, Mike, you're a loser, mike at onthemic.com, and I'll give you a free $75 ticket. How good is that? Hey, am I good to you? And I would love it if you also gave me a cheeky review on this podcast, and maybe even subscribe if you like it. Go on, you know you want to. Mike at onthemic.com. Anyone wants to enter their film as well, go to sanctuaryfilmfestival.com. We have some incredible unseen films from all over the world premiering on Saturday, the 26th of November. Hopefully you can make it. Third year on the Gold Coast, Sanctuary Cove. It's like a movie set. Golf buggies everywhere, amazing restaurants, the best golf courses. We will see you there on Saturday, the 25th of November. Right. Let's start this interview with Greg Rust. Here at On The Mic, not only do you listen to us, we listen to you. You said you wanted a podcast from the legendary Mike Goldman. We listened. You said you wanted a podcast with fascinating interviews. We listened. You said you enjoyed being spanked every now and then, but you didn't want anyone out there to know. We listen. Oh, sorry. 
Hello. Hello, Greg Rust. Thruster. Rusty. <laughs> what do you prefer? <laughs> Rusty is the one that kind of sticks because I've always had that since I uh, was a little tacker. Thruster came about because I worked for a time with the legendary, the late Barry Sheen. Barry Sheen. Yes. Now, uh, Russell Ingle, supercars champion in yeah. 2005. He uh-huh. was already kind of called Rusty by a lot of people. Oh, no, you can't have too Rusty. Can't have too Rusty. Especially when Russell Ingle's so popular. Uh, correct. And so correct. And uh, Baz coined the nickname Thruster. Nothing dodgy about it, despite the the tones. That was a, uh, from some massive nights out. Of no, the no, no. I can only, I can only wish he was such a legend. I could only wish to have. Something like that have happened to me. Oh, no, no, man, no, no, he's no. had some great stories. Legend, some wild Legend. times. No, but he reckoned I just I marched up and down the pit lane with my chest out and oh. sort of thrust the microphone in there and asked the question oh. and it's a bit of all that. That's kind of how it all came about. So you're you're a mic thruster, apparently. <laughs> well, that's a good way to introduce you on a on a podcast called On the Mic. You've been thrusting mic for years, and you mentioned the pit lane. Um, must be a dangerous job. People worry that it is. I can vividly recall having a discussion with OH&S people about where I stand and what I do, and this is going back 10 years ago now. But no, mate, really, it just comes about via experience. You kind of walk in the opposite direction to the car, so you can always see them coming. There's been some hairy moments, but... They're big in our game on safety and they're constantly navel-gazing. So I've More never... dangerous for you. I mean, you look at people walking down the street with their iPod on, but you're walking through a pit lane with headphones on and a director and a producer talking to you in your ear saying, you need to stand here, you need to talk to this person. So it can be even more dangerous for you. And yet I see that person with the iPod or their phone looking yeah. down, not watching the crossing yeah. as being far more dangerous than me, yeah. far more dangerous. Yeah. They're not dialed in, switched on to what's going on around them, all the, all the cars and trucks and everything, whereas that's what I'm meant to be there to do. I'm acutely aware of who's coming in the pit lane and why and and the experience of where to stand in yeah. dangerous moments, and I, I feel far safer. What about the naked flame? You know, you know, you know like in, in that uh, movie with Will Ferrell, what is <laughs> yes. it? Uh, Ricky yeah, yeah. Bobby, the help, ballad of Ricky help, Bobby. Help me. Help me, Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on fire. I'm burning up. I'm on fire. What am I doing? I, uh, what, what's, is that true? Is there really like a naked flame in motorsports in, that you, in, you can't see? In some Invisible kinds, flame. in some kinds of motorsport, there are not in supercars in Australia. The, if you know, if there were to be a fire, there's only been very rare in, in, instances of that. You, you've you, never you got see you. It. No, no, but I had been, I had been close. Um, I was close to John Bow's car at Queensland Raceway uh, one year. He was sharing it with Jimmy Richards when it erupted in flames, and I can vividly recall. The, the sensation, the heat, the way it sort of rushed up really? past you. And I was quite a distance from the car. You could feel it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they never sit still in our game. They always look at ways to prevent that from happening again. Yeah, it's, um, it's getting more and more dangerous. So, like, I'm by no means a motorsports expert. I, I sit there and watch it occasionally and I watch Bathurst. And, 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 you know, you learn as you're watching when you're in, from my perspective, where I don't know a huge amount about it. But uh, I've been watching a little bit of F1 lately and uh, in the news there's, there's a lot of new technologies that they're trying to push for that apparently are making it more dangerous than ever. Uh, I think the exact opposite, to be honest with you. The, the, by nature, when you go into a racetrack, you have a uh, – on your, the back of your ticket, it says the game is dangerous. Yeah. That's, that's a reality. But they, that's, that's just for the people sitting in the stands. Uh, yeah, but, but you know what? We have an impeccable record, mate, yeah. really. Um, and they are, as, as I said before, they're constantly looking at ways to, to make things safer, better. In Formula One, they, they've looked – for many years now, at a lot of the technology that they have in, say, uh, cockpits in fighter jets mm. and how they can incorporate something like that to make it 
um, safer for for the F1 driver, like but, an ejector seat with a parachute. Uh, not, not quite, but yeah, but like a a canopy, and it's caused a huge uh, amount of controversy because uh, you know aesthetically that might take it to the next generation of fans. It's a different look, and young kids might sort of think that's quite a cool thing. But you know, you got to think about safety. How does a driver get out in those in those situations? So they've looked a lot at the moment about what they're calling the halo, which is a bit like a a uh, a ring that runs around the top of the driver's head to aid in, in ensuring that their head is safe in the event of a rollover or a crash right. into a barrier and things like that. And they've tested a lot of that at the moment, uh, you know, quite extensively. So it would sit around like like a big headband around the correct, top of his head? Correct, correct. Well, essentially, just, just, just above them. So it, it gives the car a very different look. A lot of hardcore fans don't like it because mm. it's taking away from the traditional look of the, of the Formula One car. But The but, dangerousness of it. Yeah, but I like the fact that they're not, sitting still you know really over the past 20 years there's been there's been incidents um you know probably the most high profile one was the passing of of Ayrton Senna in in 94 Mm. um but since then there's this you know constant quest mate not to not to sit still with that it's it it can be perceived to be a dangerous game but honestly with the the some of the the standards of driving in our country which I think are terrible compared yeah. to, to other countries I feel far safer at a racetrack than I do walking out on the on the street now or driving on the road with with a lot of people which, which state in Australia do you think has the worst drivers Ooh, that's hard that's hard I just think as a nation generally I mean a, a, a politician if we were sitting here now would shoot me down and tell me that there is data that disproves what I'm about to say but mm. but I I strongly believe that uh, driver training is you know our we don't do enough of it in this country. If you look at what what's required in, say, Nordic countries to get your driver's license, it's yeah. far tougher. Mm-hmm. A lot more training involved. I th- I think it would help our driving standards in this country. Polys tend to believe that it will empower young men to do silly things on the road, and I massively disagree with that. Yeah, so um, if a kid does something bad with his car, like he's doing burnouts or whatever, he should have to do a driver training course and pass tests again to get his license again. Even before then, yeah. I mean, okay, that, that could be a form of, of punishment, but yeah. even beforehand, it should be tougher for them to get it in the first place so that they understand it's a deadly weapon, mm. it, it requires respect. Uh, but importantly, I'm a huge believer, mate, that, that you know there's places for appropriate speed. I live mm. my life at a racetrack. Yeah. That, that, if you want to go and do that stuff with a flash car, take mm. it for where the maker designed mm. Or intended for it to be used. Don't, don't, you know, it's not safe to do that stuff. You ever lost your license? Never, no. I have a couple of times. (laughs) How How? How did you lose your license? Well, I I lost, actually, I don't have a license at the moment. Uh, No way. I I was driving up to Queensland and I thought, oh, this is an open stretch of roads, no cars around. It's the only time I sped the whole way. I reckon I was doing about 140. And And I had another fine earlier for having the chin strap undone on my helmet when I was just riding down to the beach in Bondi and they got me for that. It's $300 fine and three points. Yeah. And so that that added up to losing my license, unfortunately. But, but, a, but they, a, they pinged me. But a, a lid like that, a helmet, mate, can come off so easily yeah. if it's not done up. Well, I'm just so, going to the beach. Just on a few streets away. Yeah. yeah, that's when the accidents happen. That's You're right. right. How that's old right. were you when you got your license? I, I was uh, 17 and three days, so I can vividly you know record. Exactly I know it exactly that. One of my best mates from high school and I, we got our license at exactly the same time. His driver's license number is one digit different to mine. We're best mates from <laughs> Mine's high school. Mine's a radio station number. <laughs> 773 FM. 
Is that weird? Um, so yeah, I I, uh, I got it as soon as I could get it. I was um, one of the older guys in mm. in my year, so I was lucky enough to drive to school mm. at the end, and um, I've just loved driving ever since. And so you you were just hanging to get your license, pretty much. You've, you've always loved cars, pretty much. Always yeah. known a lot about cars. I got. You I mean I. It's not like I didn't have my moments. I can. I did something crazy on the way to school one day, and I, and uh, the police were going in the other direction, and uh, and they couldn't stop at the time. But they took the number plate, and mm. they rang home later that night. And Mum took the phone call, and all all I could hear was Mum going, "Really? Is that right?" <laughs> Okay, thank oh. you. And yes, officer, he won't be behind the wheel of the car for about a month. So oh. that was my that Bingo. was my punishment. That Bingo's punishment. grounded. What kind yeah. of car did you have? It was a uh, VC nineteen eighty Holden Commodore. It was Mum's. It was brown with a gold stripe. Oh, nice! I thought it was gun. And my first car, like I can remember, my old man coming to help me buy it was a beige Holden Gemini SLX four door. Oh. I thought it was gold, mate, beige. <laughs> and like you never did any burnouts. I, I learned the hard way with stupid things. Mm. So I, I blew an engine up and, and had to get that fixed and <laughs> oh, stuff no. like that. But, mate, I honestly, I, I preach it now, but um, I learned very early on that the best way to get that stuff out of my system was to go to the track. Go to the track. And Dad was great with that. He helped me with carting and things. And, and um, yeah, I'm a big believer in that. Young, young guys, they love these cars, but the best place for them, just take them to a mm. racetrack, take them to a drag strip. That's what they're meant for. How many goes do you think it took me to get my license? I got a first go. I reckon first go. I reckon I got a first go. I you reckon shell off. <laughs> I reckon you're a you're a third time lucky. Yeah, more, more. <laughs> How many? How many? Guess. I'll say five. More. No way. Why were you getting? It, it took, why were you losing your life? It you? took me thirteen goes to get, <laughs> to get my license. Thirteen. What, what, and what, in, what fundamentals end, were you doing wrong? Oh, just it was stupid stuff. Like in the paper, in the Manly Daily, the the first week I went for my license, there was a bribery scandal going on with the motor registry where people were showing up and, you know, giving gifts to the to the guys doing the tests. Yeah. And it, and so they weren't passing anyone. Like all my mates at school were failing as well. But they were getting it like second and third go. And by the third go, I didn't get it. And I was getting failed for things like dirty windscreen, for starting the car and then putting my seatbelt on. He was a tough marker, this guy. Almost running into a truck. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's, that's not good. That's not that good. Rough. But um, in, in about the fourth or fifth go, I can say this now because it's 20 years ago, but I, uh, I figured out a little loophole in the system because, you know, they didn't have the internet, wasn't hooked up very well yep. back then yep. in, in the day and age. And I would go at Manly for my uh, for my test and, and I'd fail and I'd get in a car and I'd drive to North Sydney and do another, Have another test crack <laughs> on the same day <laughs> and still fail and I just I wish I had video footage of me in the car screaming and shaking the steering wheel in crazed anger like that Michael Douglas movie falling down how was that sense of elation when you got it though then oh, when I got I cried I cried <laughs> with happiness and because my dad was happy because he didn't have to drive me to my mobile disco jobs anymore uh-huh even though sometimes I might have driven myself. I'm not saying you should do that. I was a young, stupid kid. Hey, um, so you uh, raced in, uh, in go-karts, did Correct. you say? Correct. Um, what was that like? It was excellent. Good uh, way to get uh, you started, uh, motorsports. And it was a great family thing too. Like dad would always come to the track with me and um, he was far better with the mechanical stuff than I was. He, he's loved Speedway and uh, all his life pretty much. And he and mum would take me to the Speedway as a, as a youngster. So it was mm. great to be able to actually compete and do a few things. I realized early on, mate, when you get 
the the opportunity to to compete against a Marcus Ambrose or a Mark Webber or any of those guys. That didn't happen often, mm. but when it did, I realised they were just at a whole new level, whole another level. And I wanted to stay involved in the game that I'm doing now, but I knew I could never cut it as a driver. I love it. I still get a huge amount Why of enjoyment. Why is that? For Why it. did you know you, uh, you could never cut it? Could, because you could just you can see them, mate. When they overtook you, when they pulled certain moves, when they did certain things, they have this sort of innate nature, this deft touch, and and they do things that don't come easily to you. Mm. You could probably learn to do it, mm. but it would take a long time. So Whereas they do it naturally. They have a natural ability. Correct. It just comes to them, and Correct. and so. They they can drive faster, like they can turn corners they, better. They that feel it. They feel it. They sense it. They uh, they'll, they'll do things two and three steps ahead of you. And and I just knew that I was never going to be able to do that. I had it, I was just in awe of them, really. Mm. And so this was a different way to stay involved. And and um, I still do some. I try and do something once a year, but normally it's a charitable thing, a mm. fun thing. It's just a great experience. And I walk away from those things going, that was awesome. Mm. Get it out of the system. What's the and, fastest you've ever gone? Uh, I drove once at uh, Avalon Airport in a Holden Monaro with Stephen Richards. We were both able to – the airport was closed and I had it tapped out. It was nearly 300 or close to 300 k's an wow. hour. Something. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Mm. Who do you think is the best driver in Australia in the V8 supercars? Uh, whew, that's hard. Right now, as you and I sit and, and chat, uh, Scott McLaughlin, the Kiwi, is in vintage form, mate. He's, mm. He looks like being his year, but it seriously is one of the toughest, most competitive years we've seen. Shane Van Gisbergen, who won the championship last year, another Kiwi. The Kiwis mm. are dominating at the mm. moment. Um, just about anything he gets behind the wheel of, mate, he's incredibly adept at. He, he can get in a speedway car, he can get out of that, get in a supercar, and he's equally competitive, just driving is in his blood, mate. He's exceptionally good. Yeah, yeah. cool. Um, so what about the best driver of all time out of Australia? We say like Peter Brock, I suppose. Or yeah, I mean, I was lucky enough to, like to uh, in the latter part of his career, do some some things with him. Um, what I liked about him, I mean, he was genuinely a good driver, but was his personality mm. outside the car, mate. He was a great human being. Um did so much for you know young kids coming through in terms of mentoring, and he was excellent with the fans. Um, but in that period there in the seventies and eighties, I mean, it just anything he got behind the wheel of, he drove the wheels off it. But he was brilliant at it. Yeah, he was yeah. rally car driving, all, all sorts. I mean, yeah. he he he. Yeah, I mean, at the end, yes, at tarmac rallies, and sadly there was the one in Perth, yeah. or WA, where he where he got killed. I mean, he did some rallying when he was when he was younger in the in the seventies. I mean, he drove all kinds of different things mm. really. But we know him for. Uh, for the bigger chunk of his career with Holden and for what he did, particularly at Bathurst. And, and, How um, many did he win in Bathurst? Nine. Was it like nine. nine. Wow. He won other events up there and other classes and things, but of the main race, the great race, he, he won nine of them and um, he he helped make that place. Who was his main rival back then? I remember the guy with the glasses. The- Alan Moffat. Alan Moffat. Alan Moffat. That's yep. right. Yep. Lovely, lovely man to this day. And, and uh, ironically, mate, you know, Back then, everyone traded on that rivalry, and then in later yeah. years, obviously with Dick Johnson. Mm. Um, but but uh, I saw Alan speak a few years ago at mm. an event in Melbourne, and he spoke very emotionally about it because he described Peter as a very good friend. They may have been rivals mm. on track, but they had this great respect, and they even drove together in the latter part of each other's career in the eighties there and things. Mm. So, yeah, like you'd see him when you when you're watching Wide World of Sports and the highlights of. Yeah, their races and their, the the duels that they had against each other over the years, and they'd be waving their fists at each other. You thought they hated each other's Sports guts. Sports built on that, mate, isn't it? Yeah. You know, like you can, you can, I can, you know, recall all kinds of 
in motor racing, um, events where you, you know, they're unforgettable moments in history, those when they've happened. Dick Johnson, when he hit the rock at the top of the mountain, I mean, that mm. was the kind of making of him in, in a funny roundabout way. Um, yeah, he, he punched someone. No, 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 no. A, a, he hit the rock. He, he, he literally hit the rock and it badly damaged the car. And, oh, and right. uh, he was. I a, thought the rock was another driver. No, 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 no. Not like the, the rock, the rock. Um, I mean, long story short, the Australians felt so uh, so sad for him. There was this outpouring of, of uh, support for Dick Johnson, mm. uh, lots of donations and things. And that, that helped keep his motor racing career on track. Mm. And he came back the following year in the early 1980s and won Bathurst. And it just, he went from being on, you know, like on a current affair type mm. show where people were talking about the, this uh, the, this support for him um, to coming back and, and clinching it the following year. It was a great comeback. So what would you equate Bathurst to if someone's listening in America right now? Yep. Um, what, what kind of um, motorsport touring race would it, would it be? It's, same. it's a different style of racetrack, but they have an awesome event over there called the Indianapolis 500. They have another thing called mm. the Daytona 500. But they're just round and round and round, aren't they? Yeah, but, yeah. but I love those style of races because mm. there's a huge amount that goes into it from a strategic point of view, mm. from a car point of view, a driver point of view. Um, but, but those two venues, Daytona on the on the um, on the east coast there, and and then Indianapolis, famous world famous racing venues, mm. and, and ours, Bathurst is Australia's, I guess, version of that. It's not yeah. round and round, as you yeah. say. It's not a it's not a circuit or an oval. I should say it's a circuit. Why don't they do those? I don't see those races in the states. They, no, they do have them. I mean, oh, for right. example, they have a 24-hour race at Daytona right. where they use some of the banking but mm. also a section of the infield oh, so it becomes okay. a proper proper course. And yeah, they do well. a, a, a fame, famous 24-hour race there in January every year. Right. Um, so I don't they, know they, how they do that race for 24 hours. I love That'd it. That'd be exhausting. I, I hate driving from the city to Bondi. Yeah, but you do it with a team of people <laughs> and you share the driving. Yeah, yeah, and enough. yeah. What's so the longest mean, they drive for if they did that? 24-hour race uh, in in kilometer terms or oh, like hours oh uh, there'd be normally it's a team of four drivers mm. and they split it up um depends on the event but now for, at bathurst for example mm. no one driver can do more than i think it's two-thirds of the race distance so it's 161 laps or a thousand kilometers mm. so if the day unfolds where you know there's a bit of rain or things change and strategically you need to keep that bloke in the car for mm. a little while longer you can do that but um, you just that driver can't do more than two thirds of the race, and it gets to a point where the quality of the racing now is so good, mm. you have to be on it the entire time. Like to sit mm. behind the wheel for yeah. two hours like mm. that, you're not as you need a break. They listen break. to music. <laughs> so before the race, put on a yeah. bit of death metal or, but, but, or some. But before the race, music, not, not, not in the car, <laughs> not in the car. Um, some of the some of the GT cars or sports cars now have air conditioning and things like that in them to keep them a little bit cooler. And, and I would have thought of, they'd all have that now. No, not all of them. No, a supercar in particular is. They need to be light. Light. They're yeah. devoid of a lot of those things. They're very aero efficient. And I mean, at some tracks, a supercar now, you the temperature is sort of mid fifties mm. inside the car, and you've got a triple layer racing suit and a helmet on. It's it's hard work. They're you need proper, to be fit. They're proper athletes. I yeah. mean, Will Davison just. Yesterday, before you and I sit here for this podcast, was mm. doing a, an Ironman event uh, up on the Sunshine Coast. And he's oh, wow. a super fit guy. Um, well, what would he do to train? Would, would he do not just drive the car? I mean, a, go a, lot of, a lot of cycling. Cycling's lot of cycling a, a, a big one. Our, the rules of motor racing now at the, at the upper end prevent you from doing too much 
testing, so it keeps the cost down, so mm. people aren't out there all the time. Right. So like anything, you, you know, um, in situ, uh, doing match fit stuff is what's really mm. important. But if you can't do that, you've got to subject your body in another way mm. to prepare it for the rigours of that. Mm. So so cycling for long periods, it's it's an endurance form of fitness, mate. So did you say that they're not allowed to race their cars as much as they like to do, do training t- and practice? T- t- testing uh, away from events mm. during the year you might only get two or three days of that there's very really? limited very limited i would have thought if they got lots of money they could train every day of their life the in the back in the the days of the tobacco sponsorship mm. and things yeah they used to do heaps of that but now they're big on we've got to try and contain the costs right. so a, and a that'd lot, make the competition probably a bit closer as well it's terrific mate i mean yeah. it, it, it you know the guys who can roll up to the racetrack uh sort the car out pretty mm. quickly and with a good driver i mean mm. that yes yeah the the there is there is a difference between the haves and have nots. Yeah. That's a, that's a part of any kind of motor racing. But but um, I mean, when you're at the point of uh, a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Formula One team that had a. Unlimited budget and would test like the Red Bull team. Who's got the most? Would be McLaren, Red Bull. Uh, no, I'd say Mercedes Grand Prix at the Mercedes, moment have the yeah. have the biggest budget. I think they Did have they a spend like a billion dollars a year or something uh, crazy. I don't know whether it's a billion, but but I mean they've got a staff of over a thousand people working a on uh, over on you know on working wow. on two race cars and Red Bull have a, a, a very significant spend in the area of of, of motorsport in particular. Yeah, they're big on that. Do you reckon it'll ever go to electric? I mean, there's a huge push towards that right yeah. now. Um, the, the last category that Mark Webber competed in before he retired from driving the World Endurance Championship, um, the, the cars cleverly blended a lot of uh, hybrid technology. Wow. Um, I think that stuff is is phenomenal. So there's still already. it's happening already, and there's there is a championship actually mm. called Formula E, mm. uh, which is an emerging championship that has lots of either ex-Formula One drivers or uh, engineers that have that calibre, wow. and it's all electric. Formula so, E? Formula I haven't even e. heard of that. Yeah, you should have a look at that. It's not everyone's cup of tea. A lot of motor racing purists uh, don't like it, but there is a very uh, concerted push in that area at mm. the moment, particularly among the corporate sector who mm. want it to be cleaner and greener. So how would it work? Would they just charge the battery and, and they just go for a few hours? As, or? You, as you and I sit here and talk at the moment, they actually have two cars. So there's, oh, a, okay. there's a change of car. It's like a relay. It's a weird, isn't it? It's a race, but... but um, that'll change over time. The way their rules are going, they'll, the battery technology with everything that we're involved in, you know, from Tesla with cars yeah. to some of the stuff that they're doing with, you know, battery systems that are connected to your solar energy on your mm. roof and things. I mean, that's just exploding all that technology. Yeah. I wonder if they'll ever do drone races. Like they do it with the drone <laughs> they, they, planes they, you, around, you, you it, can, around a track. But you, you can actually... Drone cars. I mean, they've got Tesla got self-driving cars, but will they have self-driving race cars? I, I hope not. I, I hope that it still remains the kind of thing where kids go, even if our daily life, which it will, and they reckon my kids now are approaching their teens and they reckon that that generation will be the last to have a driver's license. That, really? That the next wow. group of kids that come through, so they say, um, will will be you know going to work in a driverless car or mm. going to school in a driverless car. I still hope that motor racing is seen as um, you know these... 
gladiators. Wow, they actually pull a helmet on and they actually drive those yeah. things. It's not a it's not a drone. Wow, yeah. that's pretty cool. And I hope it stays that way. Yeah. Um, have you ever had a go at a, a Tesla or any of those? I, I have. Yeah. I have. They probably let you one. You get a lot of free uh, stuff, uh, don't you? I, 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 Apparently, I, you're the king of free uh, stuff. I'm not the king of free stuff. How's that's, the Lexus that's going? The Lexus was good. It was good. <laughs> the the Tesla I drove probably about twelve months ago now, yeah. and um, it was amazing to see the kids' reaction. The kids. Mm. Which one? Love, love both of them. But they, they, oh, the X um, with the doors that go up. No, 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 no. I had uh, one of those the other day. They're an so amazing. Cool. They're an amazing car, and it it it. it you know, you unlock ludicrous mode and things like that. And it, ludicrous I mean, it's, it's mode. Um, they're an incredible car, and it, it really changed my thinking. I'm a I'm a bit of a traditionalist. I mm. like a, you know, I like a, a supercar or, or a Formula mm. One or whatever in terms of a petrol powered formula. But the the sheer torque and grunt this thing had, I couldn't get over that it was just it's electric so quick power. off the amazing, mark, aren't amazing. They? Yep. I was yep. in at the Tesla store in Martin Place in Sydney the other day and I was just checking it out. I was wearing boardies and a T-shirt. like a, One of those classic scenes where the salesperson would look at you and go, this guy's not going to buy one. But this nice French girl came up and started having a chat to me about the car and she goes, would you like it for the night? I'm like, what? <laughs> what you, with you? Are you coming with me? And she's, no, no, no. You, you know, it's better to send it Experience out for the night it. rather than Experience having it, it in the um, mm. in the showroom. Yeah. And I'm like, she didn't know me or who I was or anything like that. I'm like, yeah, sure. So um, my girlfriend and I took it for a drive all the way up to Palm Beach, had dinner Fantastic. up there, went around visiting our friends, and, and we'd stop at the lights because it was the X, and you push the button, and, and, and the doors would open up, and everybody would be looking at you. People would try to cross the road, and they're like, what the hell's that car? It was so much fun. And the next morning, it was um, on empty as I was driving to Martin Place. Because I didn't have the charger at home or yep. anything like that. And yep. I'm, I'm freaking out. Like, this is going to run out in the middle of the street. <laughs> but, but we got there in the end and just whacked it on the charger. But it was such an incredible experience. There's so much room on the inside. Yep. You, got, you, got, you can put stuff in the, in the bonnet and, and in the boot as well. Amazing. Amazing it, car. Such um, a cool car. Yep. Incredible and the, technology. Know, and he's doing some uh, amazing things from taking it from a... Uh, a car that's sort of upper end of the market to mm. more mass market now, and that'll come with lots of lots of challenges. But yeah, there's a real there's a real push in that area, and and the way that technology can recapture energy and reuse it is is phenomenal. Yeah, I think, in the mate. motion yeah, of the tires oh, and putting it back into the battery and all, all that sorts, kind of stuff. All sorts. Yeah, you can you can adjust that on the Tesla. So you know when you you take your foot off the accelerator, you can feel the wheels slowing the car down because it's charging the battery. Yeah. It's bizarre. But Elon Musk is such a fucking legend. Clever, like, that guy, guy is doing so many incredible things. Like He's putting together a mission to Mars. He's talking about putting this um, Hyperloop into the ground where you know you can, you can travel That was a crazy video, that thing. I know, wasn't it? Like, awesome. And, and mm. even the uh, these, this rail system, have you seen that where you pull your car up to the side of the road and you, you, you park on this, this little um, leverage system and you go into the ground and it shoots you to wherever you got to go? Like... Some of the stuff that he's coming up with is mm. incredible. Well, it's changing, mate, but in, in some good ways. And I hope from a motoring point of view that, you know, if it does become a situation where uh, driverless cars rule the world, the, the road or rule the sky or however, mm. however it may work, that, that motor racing still is a bit of an aspirational sport for mm. these gladiators that still actually, actually steer them. Speaking of driverless cars, I was looking at videos on the web the other day and I, I, I did a bit of a Google search on you and I actually saw you driving a driverless car at about 200 k's an hour. Me? Yeah. You're probably one of the first people to ever do it. 
I don't think so. Where was that? Uh, well, so basically, you were driving along and the steering wheel fell off. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. What oh my god, oh, I've never lived that down. What's that all about? One of the rare times that I've done a bit of bit of racing, as I said to you before, I do a little bit each year. I try and do something. So I drove what's called <laughs> what an Aussie an Aussie racing car, little pocket rocket. They've got a motorcycle engine in them, and for whatever reason, the steering wheel was not properly on the spline, and it may have from memory even been my fault that in getting into the car because you have to take the wheel off sort of maneuver yourself in then put the wheel on you're in a tight quite tight confines there <laughs> so i'm roaring around at winton in victoria and the wheel came off i was very lucky so mate did, did this, the uh, front wheels just kick going straight or did they just yeah, they wobble did. all over the place I, I, I freakishly i was coming into a right hand and not at very high speed and it popped off the spline before i turned in and the car just kind of continued in a straight direction onto the grass and I popped on the spline and kept going. And my friends, because it was all, it was in, this was as a, as a support event to the supercar. So all the drivers that I know and I deal with now were wailing, mate. They were wailing. Did, did you, was your first reaction, oh, I've got to put it back on or actually get your hands and grip the little pole <laughs> well, and turn the pole? I was seated uncomfortably because that driving suit needed a full dry clean after that. But yes, I did. Uh, first thing was, I've got to get it back on the spline and double check that it's on properly. Bit and in pole the, dancing. In the heat of the, of the rejoin on the racetrack, I was so flustered. I'd missed a gear and, oh, mate, it was just it was horrendous. <laughs> Is that probably horrendous. one of your most embarrassing moments Very, in motorsports? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Because it happened in front of your peers and mm. they've never let me forget it. Surprise, surprise. I mean, working with Barry Sheen and uh, Alan Jones for all those years that you did on Channel 10. How long were you at Channel 10 for? Like 15 years or something crazy? Yeah, yeah. And, and so, I mean, some of the, the jokes that they play on each other and, you know, they, they'd be saying to you and Barry Sheen on the track, Cracking jokes left, right, and centre. There must have been some some fun times you had with those guys. It was guys. Un- unforgettable for me. It was a great period of television in this in this country, and they're legends for different reasons. Baz Baz would give me relationship advice, mate. He'd always say, he'd always what? say, he'd say, here, here, listen here. Start out as you mean to continue, right? Don't go giving them all flowers and going, you know. The, <laughs> start out as you mean to continue. So he was play think, play hard to want, not he, hard to get. He was. <laughs> He was incredible, mate. He was so good with the with the fans. And if you and I were sitting here doing this in the heart of London and he was still alive, I mean, there would have been paparazzi outside. He was proper yeah. rock star over there. Proper well, the only star. reason why I moved to Australia was, was for the warmer weather because yeah. he had all these pins in his legs. A good mate of mine, uh, Rod Morris, is is making a movie about Barry Sheen, the, yep. the biopic, which you yep. might have heard I about. I can't wait to see it. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, they're just looking for a director at the moment. There's a, mm-hmm. a few up in the air, but as soon as that happens, I think it's going to snowball and... And actually happened. And Rod lives up at Sanctuary Cove on the mm-hmm. Gold Coast, and uh, that's where the Sanctuary Cove International Film Festival is, which he helps run. And he actually has—I was at his house about a year ago—and he has Barry Sheen's original X-rays, all the pins, pins. in yep. his legs. Have you ever seen that? I, 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 I can vividly recall going to the house in the early days of, of my career there, and he—you know—we had to do some interview bits and pieces, and he says, "Here, come into the office with me." So. We went into the office and he had a, a steel hollow leg and in it were all the bolts and pins and rods and everything from over the time in his career and he upended it, tipped it up on the desk and I couldn't get over the volume of metal that he'd had in him over time. Um, and, and, I mean, that literally, made it would set off at certain airports. It would set off the yeah. X-ray machines It would I because bet. he was, yeah, yeah. Amazing guy. Great, great character. I... I, I 
he was very much an adopted Aussie in this country. They mm. loved him at the supercars as much as they did at the bikes. Yeah, yeah. he was huge. He um he had a, a, a shocking accident in his career. Was it at Daytona? Daytona. Well, actually, two. To be fair, one yeah. at, one at uh, one in the UK, yeah, and one at, at Daytona. The Daytona one was probably the the first big one, and um, I mean they did a documentary on his recovery from that, which was probably a, as big a part. Of the making of Baz as the the other you know aspects mm. of his his life and times, um, but it it yeah I mean just the extent of the injuries and how he came back from it, it was a remarkable guy yeah and he, wasn't he and I, I believe this the record still stands he's the only um, rider to have won the fifty cc and the five hundred cc GP in the same year. Ooh, I'd have to go back. <laughs> You're testing my knowledge. Although. I googled it. You googled I, it, and I remembered it just to make out like I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> I mean, but, he, but he had some huge titles. Didn't oh he? yeah, I mean, you know, to be to win the 500cc world title twice was massive for the UK. But it was, but it was what he did uh, off the bike that was just as huge on the bike. I mean, a great friend of James Hunt. So there's two guys that were, yeah. you know, just rock stars in mm. the in the day. Um, you know, he he did stuff. He had he had a relationship with Rolls Royce. He took Rolls Royce and made it a cool hip thing to have again, and yeah. did some great ads and and you know even stuff here in Australia with Dick Johnson. I mean, it, it was his character as much as what he did. Do you the want bike. anything from inside? Like maybe yeah. a sock. I want a sock for. <laughs> you know, those ads still get a run now. And they, they probably they, didn't write that like that. He probably just did it on the spot. It was great with off the cuff stuff like that. He would always say before we went into a broadcast, we would, the director would be counting down. We were seconds from going to air, and he'd look at me and he'd go, "Here." Let's have a laugh because he knew that although there was a seriousness to the competition, to mm. the contest, to the, you know, whatever it might have been, the controversy we were dealing with at the time, yeah. he knew it was important that if we had a giggle, the, the audience would enjoy it too. Yeah. And didn't he meet his wife when she was already married to someone else? And, and she asked if, if she could borrow his, um, his racing suit. And he said, yeah, sure, as long as you, uh, <laughs> as long as you go on a date with me. And she's like, I'm married. That's all right, we'll be married soon. Or something, something crazy like that. Because I, I had a, a browse over the script um, of his autobiography, the, auto, auto, the biopic, and it's, uh, it's got some incredible stories in there of, of him and his womanizing and how he was just a, a rock star when he was the, the world champ all those years ago. It's going to be an awesome movie. But he still, he, oh, I still remember him being a, a great grounded person mate you know he had never sort of really got to him he was um always very good with the fans always had a laugh with him it's just mm. great fun working with him mate. very special to do you that. should be in the movie you should no. be one of, you should be no, one of the no, commentators no, no. in the movie no. how's your british accent yeah yeah I, that, that i mean if they get close to making something like rush or yeah. thereabouts that's what they're be, chasing oh, that'll be, be i mean and, that, and it's a good story it's a really good story he's mm. a you know, globally loved. I mean, he could speak like five different languages and he was just mega, mate. Five mega. languages? Wow, yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. Yep. Oh, it's going to be cool. Oh, I hope you get a role. No. I'm, tr- I'm trying to get a role in it. <laughs> Rodney Morris, come on, we're plugging the film already. It's good luck good. with it, mate. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, speaking of celebrities, uh, I believe you've had a, uh, a couple of chats with people like Arnie. Arnie. Arnold Schwarzenegger and <laughs> yeah. what was you I can, talking you, to him? You can probably do the accent better than I, I can. Get to the chopper. He, what are you doing, Greg Glass? He, he, he came to um, he came to the Grand Prix in Melbourne twice. Yeah, and uh, did the podium I think one year and was on the grid for <clears throat> for both of them. So when I when I spoke, Arnold, Arnold, how did you you know how did you find the you know the cars and being on the grid? Oh, I was amazing. The power and you know all that sort of stuff. <laughs> it was power <laughs> and loving the power of the cars. 
Thank you very much. Uh, anyone else over the years you might have chatted to? Because celebrities come from all over the world to go to the I played, a, I played a great gag on the late, great Peter Brock at one stage, and he always swore to get even with me. It's a long story, probably too long for this podcast. No, but we, were... mate, we got as long as we want. It's not like a radio station where you got to get to the song or the ad break. And I'm the program manager, so I can do whatever the fuck I want. We, we were driving back from the Pukekohe track in New Zealand to Auckland. About an hour trip was at the, at the New Zealand round of the supercars. And as we're driving along, Neil Crompton, Matty White, myself, Darryl, we can see Brock a couple of cars in front of us. So I ring, I get his number and I ring him, you know, in silent mode so he doesn't know that it's me and I put on this Kiwi radio announcer accent and ask could I do an interview with him. I was like, g'day Pete, it's Chris here from Hauraki FM, how are you? (laughs) And I can hear him, good thanks, and probably looking for his schedule of things to do for the day and I didn't have this interview listed and blah, 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 blah. I said, oh, look, Pete, I'd really love if we could just have a quick chat about today's supercars action at Pookie. Oh, okay, okay, sure. And so I then rattle into the whole spiel that you and I would do. Okay, well, I'll just get some tape rolling and here we go. Five, four, three, two, one. Well, I'm with one of the absolute legends of Australian motorsport now, Peter Brock. Peter, you know, so we talk about the racing for the day and how well Greg Murphy had gone and Mark Scaife and what have you. Yeah. Crompton's driving our commentator's minivan and by this stage he's worked his way up beside Brock in the traffic. And we look across at him, and it was in the days of earpieces, and he's got his, doing the right thing, driving along with his earpiece in, and he looks across at us, and he points at the earpiece, and he goes, I'm on the radio. He sort of mouths the words, <laughs> I'm on the radio. So we keep doing this interview, and I, I said, uh, Pete, um, just in closing, what are you doing now? And he said, you wouldn't believe it. I'm driving back to Auckland. There's a crazed carload of Supercars fans right beside me. It's been a huge day here. At which point I turned and I looked him square in the eye, and I said, they're not in a blue Tarago, are they? <laughs> and he, he realised he'd been had oh, and got, uh, him. got him. And he loved it, mate. He, not all celebs take gags like that real well. Yeah. And um, he always swore to get even with me. Sadly, that didn't happen, but... Um, yeah, great. He was. He loved the gotcha. What a legend. We love Brocky. Great Australian. A hero. So what's the future hold for you, Mr. Rust? Mr. Thrust? I, I, Greg Rust? I, I love what I'm doing at the moment, mate. I'm, I'm kind of freelance in the middle. I, I do a bit of stuff with Fox, a bit of stuff with 10, with supercars again. But I've done a few overseas things. I did a bit of stuff with Red Bull TV last year. Cool. Um, Will you ever do the uh, Olympic Games or Commonwealth Games or anything I, I like did, that? Because you did Glasgow. I did, I did Glasgow and I did, uh, I did the Winter Games, um, but only studio-based stuff for mm. that. I, I really enjoyed doing that with, with the guys at 10. If, if the window was there and the opportunity came up for sure, I, I, you know, at heart, I love automotive. I love cars. Mm. I love bikes. I think that's when I'm speaking from the heart about that stuff. That's probably where I'm at my best. But, mm. but it's been a huge... Huge thing to go and dabble in those other sports, mate. Yeah, you are pretty amazing at it, and uh, you know you've got so much cred in the industry. I was just talking to Michael Strano from ah, Sports. Good man, good he, man. He's a good, a good mate of mine. Actually, he got me to be the voice of Speed TV. Remember, he's doing yes. the Speed yeah, Channel. Yeah, yeah, Speed but Channel. He get me to do it as loud and as angry as I could. So this week on the Speed Channel, we go to Silverstone <laughs> where they're racing nonstop. It's like it was so full on. And once he got me to do to do the uh, the voiceover with a helmet on, I had the Speed Racing helmet on. I went on YouTube. I think he got at least ten hits. But um, Aaron, I think, that works there as well. Or uh, who's, who's the other guy? Andrew Hawkins, maybe? Yeah. AJ? AJ, AJ. AJ yeah. That's it. AJ's a legend too. Love working with those guys. But they rave about you. And actually, I hit him up and said, give me some dirt on, on Thruster, on Rusty. 
And, uh, and they said he just loves free stuff. Just hit him up and, <laughs> and say, say what kind of free stuff he got. Harsh. That is very harsh. Ask him about his Lexus. No, no. I got to drive that. I, I like. I do a little bit of uh, Instagramming, as you know. I love that yeah. stuff. And you got and, to um, in this day and age. You got to put yourself out there all the time. I, let people know I, what you're doing. I enjoy where you just. Are. I mean, there for me when I post that stuff. It's not about me. It's about the car or bike. I love that stuff, mate. Yeah. What do you, What are you scored lately? What bikes? What cars? I'm in a four wheel drive as you and I sit here. I'm oh. driving a. It's not for me. It's a press car. So I, I sample it for. Few days and I give it back and okay. Uh, so I'm. I'm. What do you got? Tr- I'm, tr- I'm. I want to if I can next year. I want a family truckster, mate. I want either a Ford Ranger or a Colorado Z71 or something like that. But I'm actually trying at the moment an Isuzu D Max of all things. Oh, so, what's it so, like? Yeah, it's not too bad. There's potential. Ford Ranger next week, and then maybe a VW Amarok. So I've tried about, I've tried a Nissan Navara and a BT50. I've tried mm. a few different things, but there's a cool maybe. I'm got my fingers crossed. I might be driving a McLaren in the coming weeks. What? Which would be, yeah, is I, that I, a million no, dollar not, car? No, 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 no. It's not the not the million dollar jobby, like but half it's a million yeah, correct, correct. So, so is that is that got one seat in the front and no, two in the back? No, you're talking about that's another the, one. They the, um one of the earliest incarnations was oh. that setup, and it was really cool, mate. That's a very memorable. Didn't Mister Bean that. have one of them? Yes, he did, and he crashed it, mate. Yeah, and he crashed it. I had love, to have it repaired. I love the story. I think he sold that now. I love the story when he crashed it. He ran up the back of some little old lady. He got out, and and she was about to abuse him, and then she realised it was Mister Bean. Bean. She just pissed herself. <laughs> Bean, I'm sorry. He loves his cars, and you often see him turn up at Formula One races and things like that. Yeah, big, that's big. that'll be fun driving around in McLaren mm. if it happens. If yeah. It happens. Well, what about motorbikes? You get get a few of them too. You, do you ride many uh, bikes? I do. Since the kids come along, I haven't owned one for a while, but mm. I um. Uh, Rode a Ducati in the past twelve months. Um, often do some things with either KTM or, or Honda. Um, but honestly, mate, the the size of the bike. I'm not a I'm not a guru. I, I, a six hundred to an eight hundred is probably big enough for me. A thousand kind of sort of scares me. They're a bit too big for yeah. my my limited ability. I, I have done over time in terms of ticking some wonderful boxes career wise. I've been for a ride in a two-seater F1 car at Albert Park. That was huge. Oh, wow. And I've also done the uh, two-seater Ducati MotoGP ride at Phillip Island. Oh, that'd be scary. That was mind-blowing, mate. Who, so, was, who was driving? So, so he's ex-500cc ex, uh, racer, Randy Mamela, mm. uh, famous legend. And uh, they were all – it was, you know, during the Grand Prix weekend down there, so all my buddies were winding me up about it. Mm. Um, and he said to me, look, he goes, you ride bikes? I said, yeah, yeah, but I'm no – I'm a – amateur and he goes yeah but you know How about lean. leaning yeah. and he said just go with me so he said you, you've got to literally you sit on the back of the bike you reach around the the rider and on the on the tank there are some carbon fiber grips mm. and you grip onto those as best you can but you in midst of it, when he's turning to the right or turning to the left you lean in that direction with him and i was scared you were gonna to lean too far oh mate mate uh, there, was, there was one point there where i felt like i could reach out with my little pinky and touch the ripple strip what? and how does it stick to the road it's like amazing that? it's amazing and you know like the moment we got going on the main straight there at the island he, he let the clutch out when he grabbed second gear he let the clutch out and we were up on the back wheel he kept accelerating still on the back wheel in third gear still on the back wheel in fourth gear so we we're pulling a mono for ages what put the wheel down we turned into turn one and I did three laps with him and I was knackered because you <laughs> yeah. you literally are bracing. You're pushing back when you're under brakes, coming into the corners. It's taking all of your might. And then, because you're doing nearly 300 k's an hour on the main straight, you're holding on for all it's worth. And there was a couple of times where I tried to just sneak out from behind him and have a little look. Your, your vision is kind of at an angle <laughs> to either side of the rider, but what I wanted to sneak out and have a look at it. The, it nearly wanted to rip your 
head off the the yeah. the wind speed. It was an amazing experience, mate. Oh, yeah. that's incredible. I'd, I'd love to do that one day, but I I don't know. I, I don't know how I'd hold on. Blow your mind. It and it really reinforces just how good those guys are to do. You know, 340 k's an hour as they do every lap down there to do nearly 30 laps to do a Grand Prix for 45 minutes. Man, uh, how they manhandle those things. And some of them, they're like jockeys, mate. They're 50 to 60 kilos. They weigh nothing. And yet they can, it's like child's play the way they ride those machines. A lot faster than my 150cc Aprilia. (laughs) You don't do that down around Bondi. My my little scoot. But I do want to get a proper bike eventually. I reckon in the next next couple of months when I get my license back. Yes. uh, Because I've I've had my, uh, my scooter now. I've done the scooter thing for a few years. Did you do a stay upright course, like a bike course? Yeah, yeah, I've done done all that. I've got my opens now, but I just want to have a little test run on like a Harley and and, and maybe get a Moto Guzzi and have a look, because they're the ones I like the look of. Yep. Like and a thought, cafe racer, is that, that sort yeah, of stuff? Yeah, I think yeah. a cafe racer would be good just for, you know, burning to the city and back. What yep. would you suggest? Ooh, I could see you on a Harley. I think a mm. Harley's a bit of you. Um, what else might there be? Maybe a Royal Enfield, maybe uh, Triumph mightn't be too bad. There's a few things around that would, would probably... Triumph. Yeah. I like the sounds you. of a Triumph. I might yeah. have a crack at one of those. Yeah, and it would look good too. would yeah. look good. Well, thank you. Mm. You don't look so bad yourself. No, no. <laughs> you Australian motorsport legend. Thank you so much, Greg Russ, for being a part of On The Mic, being on the mic and being on the show. It's been a pleasure to chat. And, uh, and, and good luck with all your future endeavours. I look forward to hopefully seeing you in Rod Morris's new movie. Uh, about I'll, Barry Sheen you I'll, deserve to be in it you and Baz are mates you uh, work yeah, together I, I would be happy just to, to see it if they can do what they did with Rush or get close to that it will be mega mate great story Australian motorsports guru Thruster Rusty Greg Rust thank you for being on the mic thank you mate you've been listening to On The Mic with Mike Goldman subscribe download and review at iTunes Audio Boom, Stitcher or your favourite podcasting app For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.